Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome to the following on podcast from Talk Sport with John Norman and Jared Kimber. We're looking back at the first ODI between England and Australia at Old Trafford. Plenty to discuss after England went down to a 19-run defeat against the old enemy. You're listening to the following on podcast. So by now you know it's Australia who go one nil up with uh, two to play, posting 294 for nine in their 50 overs. At one stage, 123 for five when Glenn Maxwell and Mitchell Marsh, uh, two unlikely saviours, came together at the crease. 70s for both of them. Australia ending up 294 for nine. Steve Smith, by the way, ruled out of this match, possibly missing the second ODI uh, after he was uh, injured in the net. England, when they came out to bat, found uh, run scoring extremely difficult. 22 for two after 10 overs. Uh, Jason Roy and Joe Root going early. And when Morgan and Butler went in quick succession, 57 for four at that point, they looked... uh, uh, well short. Johnny Bairstow and Sam Billings had other ideas, though. 84 for uh, Bairstow and Sam Billings with his maiden ODI century, uh, but it wasn't enough. Billings falling for 118 from the final delivery of the match, but by that point, um, England knew that Australia were going to win, and indeed they did. Right, let's get on with the show. Story of the day. So, Jared, a pretty professional performance from Australia today and uh, I suppose salvation from an unlikely source. Glenn Maxwell and Mitchell Marsh. Yeah, well, to be fair, I think Mitchell Marsh has saved them almost his last three games for them. So at this point, he's become this sort of anchor of the innings. It's quite weird when you've got like this six foot five big heaving guy and in every match he seems to have to chip the ball around for you to win or even lose occasionally. Um, but realistically... I think Australia made a lot of 
Australia aren't as good as England, right? They are fundamentally not as good a white ball team, whether it be T20 or one day team as England. And a lot of things have a lot of things have to go right in order for them to beat England. And I think those went right today. For instance, they lost the five wickets, but they didn't lose the sixth wicket, which is the most important one because that's when it all would have fallen apart for them. And if the reason that they have such a shallow batting lineup is so that they can load up with four specialist bowlers. And to be fair, the four specialist bowlers uh, really paid off and uh, England didn't, couldn't really handle them. Yeah, it was almost test match cricket at times, wasn't it? Certainly in terms of the scoring mm. and also in the lateral movement that the bowlers at the top of the order um, could come up with. And then just like classic test match cricket, both teams had a spinner that could come in and just exploit the scoreboard pressure and the conditions. Yeah, it's... Um, it's- Really close to what a perfect game is for Australia, which might seem a bit silly because they did obviously lose those wickets at the top. But essentially, I think what they realise now is they have to aim to get between about 280 and 300, pick their best four bowlers. And because three of those are absolutely outstanding bowlers, uh, they think that if they can pick those those bowlers, they then put themselves in a position to be able to defend 280 to 300. It's essentially what India did. To be fair, India had a slightly better all-rounder in Hardik Pandya but if your first four bowlers are regularly taking wickets, it means that you can hide that fifth bowler. Um, you know, I mean, everyone except for Aaron Finch had a bowl today uh, to to go through the, the fifth over, uh, sorry, the fifth bowler overs. So everything had to go right for them in that particular uh, case, but it did. And uh, because England lost so many wickets, I couldn't really exploit the fifth ball the way that they would have wanted to. You mentioned India, though. All the talk has been about the 2023 World Cup, which tells you everything you need to know about the relevance of bilateral ODI series. But is that a tactic that will work in India? This is quite interesting. I don't know how much you've seen Australia play in India. Australia bat just completely differently in India than I've seen them bat almost anywhere else when it comes to one days. Um I think it's because of the kind of wickets they have in India. They are so friendly towards the batsmen that their batsmen just play through the line. And they suddenly become much more like the England uh, batting lineup. I don't think they're going to worry about that as much. Also, I'm pretty sure that Hazelwood, uh, Stark and um, what's his name? Pat Cummins are going to be able to do that pretty much anywhere. So I don't think they have to worry about that too much. But but you're right. It's, it's a different. It's going to be a completely different tournament than anything than anything else. But in the, in the, they have to play to their strengths. They have a bunch of decent batsmen. Maybe not as many as they want, but they have a bunch of decent batsmen. And they have uh, incredible seam bowling. They have to play to those two strengths. They would love to have one all rounder. Instead, they're you know kind of uh, they're kind of putting three people together like Voltron uh, to make a fifth bowler. That's an old reference, isn't it, Voltron? Um, but uh, I think maybe, maybe there must be a more modern reference that also works. But essentially, you know, they are putting those those characters together to come up with that fifth bowler. They have to do that. So they have to play to their strength. And at the moment, especially in England, it is going to be those seam bowlers. I thought Stoinis' approach was interesting because even though Australia were losing wickets, you, you compare them to India, I thought they were a little bit like England. They just kept going at England's bowlers even though you know there was, there was carnage going on at the other end you think they kept going i mean what was mitchell marsh's strike rate was it 70 no no i don't mean uh, when marsh and maxwell came in they had to change tack but for the first five mm. wickets um uh, that's what i'm saying stoyness what was stoyness's strike rate let me just have a quick look i think it was about 115 120 i think he was 100, 126 he was 43 yeah. from 34 um okay he was a third man out actually 
Uh, so maybe yeah. it wasn't quite like that. But I still thought that there seemed to be quite a clear game plan going on from Australia. Um, I think they know they have to score a rough... They have, they, I think they know, even against England, they're going to have to score minimum 280. So they're going to have to keep going. And even Maxwell never really slowed down. But you can see with Mitchell Marsh and even um, uh, uh, Lavashane that they were certainly slowing down a little bit at that point. What they don't have, and this is where they really can't compare to England, they just don't have batsmen who can score at a runner ball in that middle period um, unless one of their openers takes off. So if Finch or Warner stay in, they know that they're going to make 100 off 100 balls. That's not a problem, maybe even quicker than that. But what they don't have is those guys in the middle who can bat three, four, and five, who can make 100 off 100 balls uh, regularly without the, the run rate ever dropping at any stage. So they've got batsmen who can catch up. But they don't have batsmen who can keep it there. And you can see the difference even with Billings. And I know England lost. But England just have the ability to find these batsmen who could score roughly a run of ball uh, all the way through the innings while also making big scores. And it's a, it's, a huge, it's, it's a huge problem for them that they haven't managed to work that out in a way that England and Indian batsmen certainly have. So they are going to have to push a little bit harder, I think. And that's where someone like Stoyness is. That's probably why he's batting at three realistically, because they know he has the ability to make 100 um, at that kind of rate. And he's not, he's not, no one's thinking he's the same kind of batsman as Owen Morgan or Joe Root. But they haven't been able to manufacture a batsman like that before. Moment of the day. There are a couple of moments of today. I thought when England had them 123 for five, um, normally, or a year ago, they would have thrown the ball to Liam Plunkett. Mm. Um, that wasn't an option today, of course, but he, you know, he did have s- certain skills, and one of them was getting wickets with the older ball in the middle overs. Um, but there were some other moments. We've already mentioned Glenn Maxwell and Mitchell Marsh, but uh, Adam Zampa as well, four for fifty-five. I know that there was some attacking shots that led to the batsman's downfall, um, but uh, really, for me, it's the continuing problems of of Moeen Ali. Never looked like he was going to stick around. There's, you know, huge problems with his batting. His bowling has been affected. And the longer this goes on, the bigger the problem for England. Yeah. Also, if this had happened two or three years ago when they had Plunkett uh, and when Rashid's batting uh, hadn't maybe dropped off the curve that it has a little bit, um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Adil Rashid was batting 11. And if when Adol Rashid's batting 11, Moen Ali is not quite as important in the team, although he was in good form then, so obviously it wasn't a problem. It gave them seven frontline bowlers and a batting line up to 11. I mean, the, the fact that they struggled to win the World Cup is still kind of preposterous because they're such a good team. They don't have that anymore. Because of Wood, uh, because of Jofra, uh, that batting lineup is now different than it, than it has been. And it's not, it's not batting all the way down. It's not as strong as it once was. Because of that, it means that Moen is now really important in that side. Now, obviously, Stokes is going to come back in, into the future. But realistically, you want Stokes, Stokes, Wokes and, and Mo allow England to play the exact game plan that they want. If you take that away, it becomes a lot tougher. Shot of the day. Even in a day of big hitting sixes, I thought two of Maxwell's shots earlier on were absolutely monstrous. But... I think Sam Billings just about edges it with uh, a couple of those uh, ramp shots from Patrick Cummins and Mitchell Stark. Yeah, I think if you're, if you're ramping Mitchell Stark, it's hard not to get shot of the day. I will say that one of the Maxwell shots that I think you're talking about is when Joffre bowled a full low, full toss outside leg stump. 
Maxwell managed to not only hit it hard, which makes sense, but also loft it hard, which is it's actually hard to get under that ball at that point and hit it in the direction that he did. Uh, and it cleared the boundary by a very long way. He also hit a top tier six off Adol Rashid. But yeah, uh, Billings and Maxwell certainly played some incredible shots today. Just just a, a very quiet one. We always we, we look at their fancy shots. Maxwell played a beautiful cover drive against the spin against Moe and Ali as well, which I, I think it's worth it. Ball of the day. Well, quite a few good balls of the day. A couple of them got wickets. Josh Hazelwood. Josh Hazelwood to Joe uh, Root. I mean, he's all over him, isn't he? Uh, it's, you know, ridiculous, the, the kind of balls. It's like Hazelwood goes, this is, this is my guy. I'm going to, you know, just really focus in on him. But he's... Um, don't forget, they came out to the World Cup without Hazelwood, which seemed preposterous. Uh, preposterous? It seemed bad at the time. <laughs> um, I think I wrote a piece about it. it. It didn't make any sense to me then. It doesn't make any more sense now. Uh, and he is very hard to hit. So uh, why would you uh, not want him to be very hard to hit in every format of the game? Yeah, England didn't bowl a maiden today, and Josh Hazelwood bowled three of them. <laughs> three maidens against, you know, one of the most attacking and fearsome ODI lineups in quite some time on home soil. 22 for two after 10 overs. So if, um, if we're talking about weird weird stats as well, it's also worth saying that that Maxwell-Mitchell Marsh uh, was a record partnership for Australia. And I don't want to say that that partnership was old, but that one of the batsmen that they replaced was Simon O'Donnell. So if you don't know who Simon O'Donnell is, you know that record's been around for a long... As far as one-day records go, that record had stayed for a long time. Lol of the day. That Simon O'Donnell stat should have been lol of the day. Um, I thought <laughs> I thought Josh Hazelwood's reaction when Bairstow was uh, not given, when he reprieved the LBW... Uh, was worth a lull of the day. I couldn't believe that that had, that had missed as well. Uh, have you got any other lulls of the day? I actually thought that one was missing legs. So I thought I didn't think it was a bad review at the time. Um, there was a couple. There was Joffre laughing as um, Owen Morgan took the catch off him when Owen Morgan almost uh, dropped an absolute sitter. And Joffre just decided not to celebrate his own wicket but laugh as his captain, uh, which says a lot about Joffre Archer as a human being. Uh, most of it good, I think. But... Um, then there, uh, the other one was when I think he bowled, Mitchell Stark came around the wicket to Sam Billings and bowled a back of a length ball outside of Stark. And Sam Billings tried to smash it over mid-wicket, missed it. And Sam and Mitchell Stark looked back, and I think they've played together for the Sydney Sixers. <laughs> Too many teams in Sydney, man. Um, I think they played together for the Sydney Sixers, so they might know each other. But Stark looked back as if to go. Fair play for even trying that shot, which I really enjoyed uh, that little moment. What is going to happen tomorrow? So what's going to happen in the second ODI, Jared? I'd be very shocked if Australia, everything goes right for Australia again, the way that it has in this particular game. I I think that England, obviously not quite full strength and there are problems with Mo and Ali and, and uh, you know, there are, it's certainly not as good a team as one that won the World Cup, but they're not about to play a World Cup. I would think that England would fight back fairly hard, but Australia's top order might also make runs. So it will be very interesting to see what happens. But I still think even this slightly flawed England team is better than the Australian team when it comes to ODI cricket. And I think that some things went right for them. I mean, you're not always going to get bailed out out by a very sensible Glenn Maxwell innings, are you? 
Well, that's true, but you'll also have Steve Smith possibly back on Sunday. Uh, Jared, uh, thank you very much. You'll be uh, with Guy Swindles for that podcast uh, on Sunday. And um, The Dive will be back on uh, Talk Sport between 8 and 9 as well, looking at blood doping in football. So uh, have a listen to that. Follow the cricket and then uh, download the following on podcast. That's pretty much it for today. Australia taking the first ODI by 19 runs, going 1-0 up in the three-match series. You can uh, listen to the following on podcasts on ACAST, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.